Pastor Andy has multiple cups of coffee, but he didn't even bring me one, so I'm not sure what that's all about. I'm May- sick, <laughs> uh, turn with me to Psalm 139. Our text this morning is Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And this is addressed to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see there be any, if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, this morning, if you saw in your bulletin um, or you got Jarena's email, um, I've titled this message this morning, First Principles. And as you can see here quickly, you just saw that this is, a, this is a huge text. This is a little bit of an unwieldy text because there is so much truth here. There's so much doctrine here. You could probably preach and teach on this for two months, three months, something like that. But I've titled this First Principles because there are some very, um, uh, there's some main principles in this text that we need to see, especially today 
um, in the world that we live. So this idea of first principles, you may, you may have, you may not have heard of this idea of first principles. And it, it's an idea that's out there in the secular world, and, and it's, it's, it's actually good. Um, it was actually first coined more than 2,000 years ago by Aristotle. And kind of the idea behind it is um, that you learn more by understanding a subject's fundamental principles. So you go back to those fundamental principles. Or a more contemporary writer wrote, first principle thinking is the idea that everything you do is underpinned by a foundational belief or first principle. And this can be very helpful in our lives. We can go back and we can basically say, why are we doing what we're doing? Okay, and that can apply to anything. That can apply to your finances. That can apply to your, ch your, your choices that you make, make in life. Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it just because that's what the world is saying that we should do? What, why are we doing that? But this morning, as we look at this psalm, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. First of all, what do we use? What do you use as a measure, when you are making decisions in your life, what are you using? What, what are the things that you rely on to make decisions? What guides your actions, your thoughts, your beliefs? And this really, again, comes into play every single day. Um, what, what are those things? And as we take a look at this, as we begin to, to dive into this, I think it's important that we understand the author, King David. King David was a shepherd. He was anointed by Samuel as Saul's eventual replacement. He defeated the Philistine champion Goliath, the giant Goliath. He served at Saul's court, playing the harp and, and overseeing his military. He, re, he won respect from Saul's son, Jonathan, but he gained the suspicion and jealousy from Saul. He fled and gathered a private army, and he spared Saul. He ruled Judah, then all of Israel, after Saul's death. But he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He committed great sin. And not only that, he had Bathsheba's husband murdered. Her, her husband, Uriah, murdered. So David was no stranger to the ups and downs of life. He had been there, done that. He, he would have that t-shirt, right? Been there, done that. I have the t-shirt. He wrestled with sin. He ran from Saul. He saw God working in his life. And he showed grace, but he struggled. So this is a real man. This is a man's man here, Okay. And so as we start to look at Psalm 139, we need to understand that. We need to understand, as, as this is a psalm, this is a hymn, this is addressed to the choir master, a, a psalm of David. So before we dig any further into this, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we take this psalm, your word, and we are confronted some, with some huge truths of who you are, your majesty, that you are the almighty creator, that you know so much about us, you know more about us than we do. So help us this morning, Father, as we, as we consider this. Help it, it, it drill into our hearts 
as we leave today, help us to not forget who you are and who we are not. So I pray, Lord, that you will be with us, that you will guide our thinking, that you will guide our hearts, and that you will be honored in everything that is said and done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are three attributes here, attributes of God that I want to look at. These are the first principles that I want us to look at. So the first principle is God's omniscience. God's omniscience. That word, that, that prefix on that word, omni, means all. Okay, God is all-knowing. He has all knowledge. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. Look with me at the text. First, I want to point out, this is addressed to the choir master. Okay, I don't want to overlook that. This is, this is addressed to the lead of the choir, okay? This is an important message. He didn't just scribble this down and, and hey, guys, I want you to sing this. I, I want this hymn to be sung. No, this is addressed to the lead, to the head of the choir. And he says in verse 1, O Lord. Now, I want to stop there again and just drill down on that for a second. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That can be transliterated as Yahweh. This is the name of God. Okay? So when God in Genesis is speaking with Moses, and remember God says, I am. This is, this is what this means. This is Yahweh. You may, you may, as you're reading um, theology books or something like that, those, it actually is Y-H-W-H. The Tetragrammaton. This is, they didn't even know quite how to, to spell it. And the Israelite, the, the nation of Israel, they didn't even want to speak it. It was that holy. So I point that out, that this is not, this is capital, all letters. This is the name of God. This is the name that God gives himself. So David writes, O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So I want us to think about this for just a second. Right? This is the ultimate in social media. Right? Why do we take to social media? So we are known. Right? We want our thoughts to be known. All of the things that we have to say. This is it. Like, this is like Facebook 1.0. God knows you. Before you even think a thought, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to post it. Before you speak a word, he already knows it. And he is discerning your thoughts. What does discerning mean? He is, he is uh, going through your thoughts. He is measuring your thoughts. He is acquainted with all of your ways. He searches our paths and our lying down. Even, again, before a word is on our tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That may be a little convicting this morning. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. Before you take any action, he knows what you're going to say. He has all knowledge. 
He is all-knowing. And we read about God's greatness and his wisdom even in Isaiah 40, verses 13 through 14. It says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? So this morning, our first principle, our first first principle, is God's all-knowing. He knows all things. He has all knowledge. Next, number two, his omnipotence. His omnipotence. This means God has all power. And I want to make sure, just a little side note here. You probably have all heard these things before, right? I, I'm probably not saying anything that most, if not all of you, have heard before. But I want to take you back again to those questions I asked you. Are they in the forefront of our minds? Are we ex exclaiming them like David does here in this psalm? Are we always remembering that God is all-powerful? So as we consider this, let's look at Psalm 139 again, verse 5. I'm going to skip a couple uh, verses here. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And then down in verse 10, even there, talking about if he were to go, um, if he were to try to escape to the uttermost parts of the sea, David writes, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And then if you flip over verse 18, Um, yes, verse 18. If talking about God's thought, thoughts and his power, and he's considering all of these things, even there, they are more than the sand. Those thoughts that he's thinking about, when he is awake, God is still with him. David is still with God. Our days are formed. God is before us and after us. He lays his hand upon us. He is leading us. His right hand is under us. We are literally boxed in by God. So as we consider, as we, as we deal with the things that we are confronted with every day, do we remember these first principles? Do we remember that God has us contained we are not by ourselves. The world would tell you something different. We are not alone. And in fact, he has power over us. It's not that he just stands back and he knows us. He is directing everything about us. He has us, again, the, the, the text there says that he has us hemmed in. Right? You think of a hemming. If you hem a garment, you are putting it together. You are sewing it together. We cannot get away from us. I mean, if you think about God, he's standing there. He's got our hand, his hands all around us. And a, and a good summary of these two attributes can be found in Romans 11, verses 33 through, through 36. Actually, turn there with me. Romans 11, 33 through, through 36. That's hard to say. And again, this is not an unfamiliar text. This is not unfamiliar at all. You all have heard this text before. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Again, talking about his omniscience. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So again, what we see here is we see God's moving. We see God's acting. And what do we not see here? Us. We do not see us. These things are being applied to us by our creator. God is taking the action. He's not sitting back waiting for us to do something. He's not sitting back wringing his hands, wondering if you're going to be good or bad. God is directing your life. And the, fir- and the third first principle, I didn't think about this coming together. That's kind of confusing. The third first principle we see in verses 7 through 10. The fact that God is omnipresent. He is all present. He is everywhere all of the time. God is present here. He is present in your most um, dire times. He is present when you are alone. He is present with, when, with you when you are with your friends. When you're at work. When you're here at church. When you think that you're alone, when you, are th- when you think that you're with a certain um, subsection of your friends, let's say, he is there. Look with me at verses 7 through 10. And this is a question we should be asking ourselves. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So again, God is everywhere. God is everywhere all of the time. He is holding you. You are boxed in, and he knows everything about you. He knows everything that you're going to say, everything that you're going to think, everything that you're going to do. And here's the key. Before it's done, before it is done, he knows, and he is directing things that are going on. So what does this mean for all of you? for all of us, especially in the world that we live in. How do we apply these first principles that you have probably heard for a very long time? And may I dare say that lots of times we just glaze over. I don't know if anyone would admit with me, right? Nobody would argue these, but how much time or how often are they in the forefront of our minds? How often are they guiding what we're doing? Because what we have here, if we, if we boil it down, we could say this. You are known, you are searched, you are boxed in, you are led, you are held, you are formed, you are made, and we are tried by God, by our Creator. So what do we do with this? 
what do we do with this truth, with these first principles? We have the full revelation. We have it all right here. I hope everyone would admit that fact, that we have everything that we need to know for life, for righteousness, for following God. We do a disservice to God, I think, when we portray our beliefs as some sort of blind faith. When, when, when we approach our beliefs, when we even go out into the world and we talk about the gospel, I think that we do, do a disservice to God when we just, it, it's like stepping off into an abyss, right? You, you just, it, it's kind of like a, a, a Jesus take the wheel type of life. Okay, we're just going to step off, right? The Bible says that we need to believe in God, so I'm just going to close my eyes and just step off. This is irresponsible. And why do I say that? Because God has revealed himself to us. He, if, if that was the case, we would maybe have one or two chapters, right? We would maybe have one or two chapters of the gospel and nothing else. But no, God has revealed himself from the beginning of time, right? What does Genesis 1 say? In the beginning, God. And all the way to the end, when the earth will be burned up. So if we have all of that, what do we do with it? What do we do with all of this knowledge that we are given in written form that you come here week after week after week and you hear somebody stand up here, one of the elders stand up here and preach to you? I hope that you don't come here thinking when you leave and say, okay, well, I've heard the word of God, so I'm good for this week. Because we have a responsibility, right? The, the, the Bible says, to those who receive much, much will be required. So we're confronted with the same proposition that Elijah had for Israel and the prophets of Baal. Turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. And we're going to be reading from seven, uh, verses 17 through 21. 1 Kings 18 verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now I want you to listen to this. And I want you for a few moments to put this in the perspective of today. See if maybe you hear some echoes of what the church, of what believers hear today. Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he, being Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. The Baals were the idols. They worshipped the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel 
and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And listen to this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. The people had nothing to say. Again, this is not just the prophets of Baal. This is the nation of Israel. Elijah gathers everybody together. He is making a point. He is bringing everybody together, and he is telling them, how long are you going to go on stumbling between these two thoughts? And so, church, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the question for us today. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So we need to evaluate our lives. And you can substitute whatever idol you want in there for Baal. That could be anything. It could be your job. It could be um, your hobby. It could be your family. It could be the church. What? It could be the church. It could be sin. Because where does the problem lay? It lies with what we worship. What are we worshiping? What are we devoting ourselves to? Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying devoting yourself to, to being at the church and to, to spreading the gospel and serving in the church as, as something necessarily bad in and of itself. The problem is, is when that is what we worship. If you come here and you think that you are saved or you are a little bit closer to God because you did XYZ at JIBC this summer, you are wrong. You are serving Baal. But, to give the contrast, if you are serving the Lord and you are worshiping the Lord and you are doing this because you love the Lord and you are serving the Lord, do you see the difference there? Do you see how it's totally different? And these first principles we have to keep in our mind. So again, I ask you, who are we going to serve? Because, because of sin and the ruler of the world, the world's made its decision. It's Baal. Baal is Lord. And we see this all around us. In our world today, the first principles, these first defining principles of who God is, they're being torn down. God has been removed from the schools. God is literally, and these, these, these fundamentals are actually being taken out of our speech. They are being erased. For all of the social media that we depend on and we think that we are heard, do you see it? They're erasing it like that. They're taking it away. They're rewriting history. But it goes further than that. They are worshiping Baal. They are worshiping their sin. See, we are the creation and God is the creator. He 
is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. We do not create the gender of our choosing. We don't get to pick our sexual orientation day in and day out. Look, at me with, with, at, look with me at verse 13, back in Psalm 139. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. How many of you knit? Or have seen someone knit? Or crochet? What happens when you knit and crochet? Would you agree with me that you touch every inch of that yarn? And then you touch whatever that is that you're making, you touch all of it multiple times, right? As you're rotating it, as you do all of those things, and obviously you can tell I don't do any of those things, you touch all of it, right? That is what we have here. I want to say it again. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. God knitted you together. If you are sitting here, I, I just have to say this. If you are sitting here today and you are struggling with the way you look, with your physical abilities, please be careful what you're measuring yourself by. Are you measuring yourself by the worshipers of Baal? The world? all of the fake media, or are you, are you measuring yourself by God's word that he fearfully and wonderfully made you? Instead of giving thanks because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the world is murdering the unborn. Verse 14 David is saying here, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And then continuing, catch this. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So he's taking it a step further. Not only are we just woven together, knitted together, it's intricate. It's small. We all know what the word intricate means. But look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your eyes saw my unformed su substance. So what does this mean? This whole argument about when life begins, it's not up for us to say. God tells us right here, before we even have any substance, he knows us. You were known. The things that are made do not make the rules. The maker does. The rallying cry of the pro-choice, pro-slaughter movement, the rallying cry of my body, my choice, it's from the pit of hell. 
because God words, God's word tells us again in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. You were intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So what should we be saying? What should we be doing with this truth? Well, we have it right here. He records for us in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. We should be focusing on how majestic God is. How precious God is. How unattainable his thoughts and his ways are. And David goes on further in verse 18. If I would count them, meaning God's thoughts... They are more than the sand. So what is that saying? We cannot count them. We cannot know all of God's ways. And he says here, I awake and I am still with you. So David is saying here that I, I can't escape it. When I awake, I am still there with you. I, I'm not getting away from you. I am, I'm constantly thinking about your thoughts and meditating on your thoughts. When I wake up, it's the first thought in my head. We don't do very well with this, I'm afraid. I don't do very well with this. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you go to? And I'll just leave that blank. You fill in the blank. How are we going to conduct ourselves in light of these principles, these first principles? Are we going to flee from evil like we see verses 19 through 22? And we may look at this and think, man, that's harsh. We're not supposed to hate anybody. We're not supposed to hate anything. We're supposed to be all loving. We are supposed to love the sinner. But let us look at the sin. And the other thing, and, and there's a lot in the commentaries, there's kind of this, there's two thoughts to this. One of them is that this is focused on, on the wicked that we should separate ourselves from the wicked, that we, we, as we worship God and knew who, know who he is, we should not partake at all in anything, in any part of sin, which is true. The other part is, as well, is that it's the sin, that, that, that David here is so aware of his sin and how majestic God is and how almighty God is that he's, not, he, he's saying, drive them away from me so, so I don't mess up. And I think I kind of fall in that camp. That's, that's, that's my prayer this morning. Because how many of you have been around maybe with the wrong crowd and you've been stained by that sin? You've been swayed by that sin? And this is what we should be saying here. Oh God, that you would slay the wicked. Oh men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Are we offended when those around us speak of God with malicious intent? Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And here's the thing I think that, that we have to, to focus in on this. When we look at others, we are called to be discerning, right? We are called to look for fruit. 
where we get into trouble is if when we think that we are so much holier than thou that we start judging other people's sin instead of starting with ourselves. But I would submit to you this morning that going on God's word, we should separate ourselves from sin and those who are regularly committing sin. Now, should we spread the gospel? Yes. Should we pray for those who are so steeped in sin? Yes, we should. But we should run from sin. We should have nothing to do with it. As Elijah had for us, we should not be stumbling between these two thoughts, between Baal and between God. We need to make a decision. We need to stand. And so, are we going to subject ourselves to God's will? Are we wanting to root out our sin and ensure that we are right with God? Look with me at the last couple verses. Is this your prayer this morning? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Wow. That's probably a little convicting this morning. He is asking God to search me and know my heart. Now, I must point out real quick, do we need to do that for God to know our heart? Right? We, we read further up that we don't need to do that. And in fact, in verse 11, David has for us, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There is no darkness with God. You are not hiding anything. This here in verse 23 is David subjecting himself to God, saying, God, I want you to search my heart. Root out whatever you find in me. You see there, verse 24, and see if there be any grievous way in me, any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. God knows everything, but David is subjecting himself to his reign. He is subjecting himself to his searching out sin and rooting out um, any grievous way in him. And this is good instruction for us as we deal with things in life. As you are dealing with things and things are not going right, as you go to teach, as you go to spread the gospel, this should be your prayer. That there's nothing separating you from God. That God will come into your heart, will go into your heart, will root out whatever is there. Because see, we are sinners. There are things in our heart, there are things that we do that it doesn't even, because we are, are sinful flesh, it doesn't even recognize. We don't even recognize it. How many of you have been around loved ones or friends and they bring something to you that you did to them and you had no idea? You had no idea about it. Think about sin, right? There are none righteous, no, not one. You are a sinner. And right now there is sin in your life and my life. So we should be going to God wanting him to search us and know us. So this morning, if you're a child of God, what do we have to worry about? What do you have to worry about? 
The Almighty God, Yahweh, has secured your future. He knows you. You are hemmed in by Him. He knows your thoughts. And He is everywhere. And He is directing all things. Your, your future is secured. Again, like I said, He's behind you. He's in front of you. He is under you. He is over you. Here's the thing that we have to remember. This blind faith that I talked about earlier that, that we just step out into, no, it's not a blind faith. He poured out his wrath on his son so that justice was satisfied. He was fully in control. Do you realize that today? He was fully in control with what happened. Before the beginning of time, he made a way for us. He was fully in control. He is not sitting up in heaven, like I said earlier, wringing his hands, hoping Aaron will, will accept his son and what he did on the cross. No, it is finished. He poured out wrath on Christ, and your sin debt has been paid. It is nailed to the cross. You are free. The Almighty God has freed you this morning. You have done nothing except receive that free gift. If you are here this morning or within the sound of my voice and you're on your own because you don't need God, you're going against these first principles. You're steeped in your sin and the ways of the world. You're worshiping Baal, whatever that may be. Again, fill in the blank. You have a decision to make. If the Lord is God, serve him. If the Lord is Baal, serve him. And so you may be sitting here this morning saying, okay, I hear you. What do I have to do? What do I have to do be, to be saved? God has done all of these things. I hear what you're saying. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, this is what I was talking about, this contrast. It's not a blind faith. It's, it's not just stepping out and, and you just go about and, and, you know, again, God, just do your thing and, and I'm just going to let God. You have to believe. You have to confess it and believe it. And you will be saved. And so then you can say, along with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 8, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom 
end in sight. So do you see this morning with those first principles? It's been likened to a teeter-totter. When God is low, man is high. The worshipers of Baal are high. When we lower ourselves, our worship is lifted. God is high. Do you see the difference there? We have a decision to make this morning. So as we go about our lives, as we are confronted with all of the things that we are confronted with, all of the tr- them trying to remove God, are they removing God from anything? Is God being removed from anything? This is exactly the way God wants it, and that is hard to understand, right? We get, we get, we get worried. We, we get caught up in, in all of the media hype and all of this stuff, but we have to remember these first principles that this is exactly the way God ordains it to be. And he is fully in control. He is in front of us, behind us. We are hemmed in. He is all-knowing. He is all around us. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is almost too much for our feeble, weak minds to understand. Because you have ordained real things that we deal with. We are experiencing very real things. We are experiencing very real hurt and pain and suffering. We see atrocities happen throughout our world. And it appears to us, to our very limited view, that, that, that there is no control that, the, that the, the, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, is fully in control. But help us to remember that you have let out his leash just a little bit. But you are fully in control. And things are happening exactly the way you want them to happen. And you will be glorified. And your word tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So as we leave here today, Father, help us to remember these first principles. Help us to dig into your word. Help us to ground ourselves. Because we have a decision. You give us free will to make a decision. Help us to make this decision. Help us to know by not deciding we are making a decision. Give us that strength. Give us that wisdom because it only comes from you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you lay it out so clearly for us that we can know. It's not mysterious. We do not have to continue to to try to do things to pacify you, as some religions would. Father, you have done the work, and you give it freely to us, those who you love. You loved the world that you sent your son. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son. Thank you for the time that we have had to look into your word this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.